I saw a thrush corpse shriveling on the woodland's scrabby floor. I was busy pitying it when there came a harrying pack of strays that set about me. They bayed and snapped, growling bare-toothed. From my throat such roaring, my every curse and footswing made a bellow war between us. Fields of agitated cattle augmented that wild choir. Mice and shrew mice shrunk back into the oak leaf brown interior. As a fox reared upward on a stony ridge, its stance utterly rigid. I remembered to run, felt the four paws under me. Hunnic Smoluk Marav Sequil. A sarka, Ern Scrabluk. Via Sigdenev Truide, nor a Hanig Madri de Rude, is Hogada Ruherfum, Eg Snapa, Eg Glama, August Dranterhu. Umsha de Hanig Luvek, Gok Bogart is Buile Quisha. V in a Vrukra Adrin, Hurig Nabas Nagurt, is Hurrider Lesh on Gor Alta. He lucke is daloga frig, is chak fuin deradun, chas madra rua er hulpa, a chulen umlan rigen, chivnish er machwishukt, vi kera krub fum. Deiv agus falsha, gudi words that burn, a podcast about poetry. Each week, I read a poem, look at its inner workings, and hopefully, show you what makes it tick. Both this week's episode and poem are a little different. It's Shocked and Nguelge here in Ireland, or more accurately, Kalkish Nguelge. It's a national celebration of the native Irish language, Gwelge. I thought it would be a great opportunity to introduce some of the poetry in my native Irish language. This week's poem is Cunrucht by Alvin Yarvig. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem somewhere so that you can read along. If you're having difficulty, you'll find a link to one below in the description. The first reading this week was a translation of that Irish language poem by Billy Ramsell. Alvin Garvig is arguably the best Irish language poet working today. She was born in Kerry, studied at NUI Galway, and has lived and worked around the world. Not only is she a native language poet, but also a translator of French poetry. I was lucky enough to get in touch with Alvany Gervig this week, and she was able to shed some light on exactly what she was aiming for when writing the poem. This was essential in my own understanding. Her work in Irish is often dedicated to languages that have been lost. Much of her work is about the struggle to find the right words, but even more so, the tragedy of once having had those right words and then losing them. Means of communication are central to much of Nigarvig's work. In this work, the communication at play is one of a much more primal nature. Perhaps it would be more appropriate to call this poem a piece of miscommunication. One of the great age-old conflicts is explored here. People versus nature. There is a landscape of emotion painted within the work, and what emerges is a testament to a much more ancient Ireland. A quick note before I begin. I've split the poem into three distinct sections for the purposes of close reading. 
The title of the poem, Cunricht, is the Irish word for werewolf, or as close as we can muster. And the subject matter of the poem is filled with the cold magic and still mysticism that has come to characterise the Irish canon of mythology. It's no secret that Nygjarvwig takes the legacy of the Irish language seriously in her work. Here she is discussing it in 2018. I think it's important for a poet to be um, to be aware of the tradition in which they're writing. So in my case, the Gaelic tradition uh, is very important in my work. Um, the songs and the, uh, the folklore, um, and it's a really rich tapestry, you know, from which to draw on. The influence of those folkloric traditions is heavily felt here. There is a ferocity in the poem that could only be embodied by something as beastly as a werewolf. From the opening lines, there is a sense of anger and loss. I saw a thrush corpse shriveling on the woodland's scrabbly floor. I was busy pitying it when there came a harrying pack of strays that set about me. They bayed and snapped, growling bare-toothed. There is an interplay of grief and anger immediately at work. Just what is being grieved is not a hundred percent certain yet. The thrush is an intentional choice here, as in certain Irish folklore, it is considered to be a bird that could speak multiple languages. Therefore, the dead thrush on the ground could be seen as a lost language. That sudden onslaught of wild dogs is an unnerving moment. When I asked the poet for her help, she explained that she was striving to capture the way in which we have separated ourselves as humans from nature. Using this insight, we can begin to unravel the epic conflict that is to come. What would you do if you were surrounded by wild dogs? How would you diffuse the situation, communicate with them? I hazard a guess that you'd be as stumped as I would. Nigarvik, in this opening section, has created a perfect set of imagery to discuss the loss of languages and the miscommunication that can arise from that. The shock of the wild dogs in the midst of grieving is a striking image, and that clash of feelings between grief and panic is not unusual in Irish poetry. As academic Katrina Clutterbuck attests when she says, the tensely intertwined relationship between consolation and confrontation is integral to Irish women's poetics of grief. She goes on to state that in using this dual process, the mourner seeks a balance between escape and immersion, realizing that each is healthy, but only in conjunction with the other. What is this poem, if not a poem of grief, for the loss of a way of communicating with the world that we once had? Is this what's happening in the poem, though? Is Nygarvig seeking out some kind of consolation for the grief, that loss of communication? Given her thoughts on knowing where a poet stands in their tradition, I would argue that it is. The Celts of Ireland had a strong connection to their environment, weaving many narratives around animals, rituals around their sacrifice, hunting and maintaining their balance with nature. Now, that seems gone in a modern context. The pack of dogs that besets the speaker could be seen as an almost literal block to communication. Our speaker was attempting to find that immersion in grief and so strike a balance, but was rudely interrupted. The speaker is overwhelmed by them. They seem surrounded. And in the words of the poem, the dogs bayed and snapped, growling bare-toothed. 
The threat of this lack of communication is made very real. In lines like these, Nygjervig's talent for visceral emotion is on full display. Rather than succumb to this attack, however, the speaker rages against it, using the language of the dogs to do so, turning to violence themselves. In the second section, they mimic their ferocity. From my throat such roaring, my every curse and footswing made a bellow war between us. Fields of agitated cattle augmented that wild choir. There is a kind of battle cry released here, as the speaker chooses to confront the wild dogs that plague them. This warlike language and the fields of agitated cattle are, to me, a reference to the ancient Irish epic of the Tawn Bo Cúlainne, or the Cattle Raid of Cooley. The tale details a cattle raid that occurs as a result of a dispute around wealth between the Queen of Connacht, Maeve, and her husband, Alil. What follows is a war that spans Ireland and features the exploits of Irish heroes like Cúlainn and Ferdiad. The epic is highly praised for its vivid depictions of action scenes and more importantly for its depictions of the ferocity of Cúlainn in battle. This poem is a fitting partner to it. Such a reference would not be out of place for Nygervik. In some of her academic writings, she praises the way in which Irish folklore and mythology has inspired generations of Irish poets, stating once that early Irish literature, extant in manuscript form from earlier centuries, continues to provide raw material for contemporary writers. The allusion to this Irish battle narrative only heightens the stakes of the clash between man and beast. There is a sense of desperation in the every curse and footswing as our speaker tries to fend off the wild dogs. The violence of the imagery is a powerful reminder of the panic that can set in when we lose our methods of interaction, our ways of communicating. The reference to the wild choir evokes the level of noise that must be taking place in that strange battlefield. In itself, each animal's sound is its own attempt at communication. Cows adding to the cacophony are a unique reference to the Irish landscape and conjure up images of wild fields in rural settings. Their agitation is a result of the conflict taking place. The natural order is being upset, both physically and metaphorically. The balance is off. Moving into the final section, we see that the otherworldly quality that was hinted at at the beginning of the poem finally finds purchase. Mice and shrew mice shrunk back into the oak leaf brown interior. As a fox reared upward on a stony ridge, its stance utterly rigid, I remembered to run, felt the forepaws under me. Much like the previous stanza, the image of the landscape is expanded, the tension heightens once more, and the imbalance reaches its crescendo. More nature retreats from the conflict. The mice and shrew mice are running for cover. At the same time, the minutiae of Irish nature is filled in. Then there's the mention of the fox who is reared upward, another sign of flight, while its rigid stance indicates overwhelming fear. All this native fauna imagery of Ireland weaves together to create a seam brimming with life and more than a touch of chaos. This chaos seems to help the speaker understand that their current course of action 
is the wrong one. Nature all around them is bucking against their attempts to communicate. The dogs have not calmed. The speaker comes to understand that the only communication that will work here is that of the animal she's confronted with. The line, I remember to run, shows us that directly mimicking the other animals of the scene allows the speaker to finally escape their predicament. And so, the transformation takes place. The speaker becomes the werewolf of the poem's title. And this in itself is a very interesting choice. Werewolves have an unusual place in Irish myth and folklore. They are not ubiquitous, but they do come up occasionally. The affliction they carry is usually the result of a punishment from gods, or in the case of certain Irish tales, like the wolves of Ossery, it is a punishment from the church. Is our speaker being punished for their distance from the natural world, or is it more likely that they've adapted to the perfect form, something human and half-beast? Or is it more likely that in re-establishing their connection with the natural world, that they've adapted to the perfect form, something half-human and half-beast, a balance that can keep its foot in both the world of men and the world of nature, without having to sacrifice either. So why this poem? Firstly, it's a testament to the power and vivacity of the Irish language. Gaelge is often spoken about as a dead language, and the vivid depictions of this poem prove the exact opposite is true. I love the way in which Alvin E. Gerwig uses the ancient references of Ireland to discuss a very modern concern. The theme of nature versus humanity is constantly seen in the media today. Environmentalism and climate change are constantly discussed and never far from our news feeds. Gwelga is shown to have a role to play in the modern world, one that is essential. More than that, it proves that the perils of turning our backs on the older ways of communicating can result in dire conflicts. If you're interested in finding out more about Irish language poetry, if you simply want to brush up, or if you're like me, a Gwelgor that's grown a little bit rusty, I cannot recommend Alvin E. Gerwig's collection The Coastal Road highly enough. It is a collection filled with poems that lament the loss of different languages around the globe. Poems that perfectly capture the essence of miscommunication and poems that exult in the joy of finding the right words. The best part about The Coast Road is that each poem is accompanied by a translation by another famous Irish poet. If you want to understand Filiach das Gwelga, this is the way to go about it. What was your reading of the poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. If you'd like to talk to me about it, you can reach me in a few ways. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com or you can find my website www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com There you'll find the show notes for this episode complete with references to anything talked about. If none of that suits you, I'm on Instagram. Just search Words That Burn Podcast. There you'll find helpful study guides and bonus material. I'd like to give a massive Gurumila Mahagut to Alvani Garvik herself 
who very kindly helped me understand her poem this week. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode is by Sergei Cheremizinov and is used under Creative Commons license. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving me a review on whatever platform you listen on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to me. Slongafole.